I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters. And I'm pretty chuffed because I have managed to crack the timetable of one of Australia's most eminent principals. (laughs) Philip Heath and I did work together many years ago on the New South Wales Board of Studies. So I'm going to declare that straight up front, listeners. But welcome, Philip. I'm so thrilled that you, in the midst of total disruption to your education timetable at Barker College, have been able to fine time for me today. How are you? (laughs) What a joy it is to see you and hear you. Remember those days we were working together when we were all very focused on the well-being of children, not on the protection of sectoral interests. I learned a lot from you and uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. When I look back on the opportunities I had through education, the uh, 10 years I had on the Board of Studies was amazing for me as a parent representative, but also as a parent and a professional. And there's uh, many contacts such as yourself that I cherish. And we've actually had some very serious times together and some major laughs together over those years. (laughs) Now, Thriving Matters podcast really is all about extraordinary things that ordinary guys and gals like you and I are able to do. And that's not toot our own horns. It's to actually say all of us together are more powerful than we have ever believed. And I do believe in the time of the pandemic where things have really changed to our normal way of operating, that our connections are perhaps closer together. And I'd like to explore that today in the realm of when we're connecting, how can we still thrive when we have a whole lot of sadness, of surprise, of change, of disruption happening. So that's where we're going today. And I'd usually like to kick off our conversation, Philip, by asking you about what it is that gets you out of bed each morning. What is it that you love about your work? We've got five rescue hens. They need their morning meal and they regard nothing as more important than that. But apart from that, I am completely to the frustration of those with whom I live and know and love, very driven by a really profound sense of purpose. And that is that my life and energy work and focus is chiefly about being a shelter to the lives of others as much as I can. Every day is informed by the need to protect and support, enable and encourage others. And if I can't be there, I worry a bit about that. And that's been present in me. I I was reflecting a bit on this in a conversation at home this morning about, to some extent, from the youngest age on the mother's knee, if you will, I initially thought that pretty much anything that went wrong must be my fault somewhere. 
So I kind of somewhere in the mix of it all, it's my fault. But I've shifted away from it being my fault. I'm as defensive as anybody else is when it comes to apportioning self-blame. And I've shifted that narrative away from it, it is my fault into it is my responsibility. Um, somehow or other, I am called and am able, or if I'm not able, I should be able to respond to this, even make it better, even solve whatever it is that's around me. And there's never a day that dawns that I, those thoughts aren't in my mind. And behind that sits a spiritual principle for me. That's part and parcel of who yeah. I am. But call it what you will, call it the voca, the vocation, the calling in your heart and soul. We all have it one form or another to feel that sense that the world's need and your concerns meet around an idea. And that's what gets me rising in the morning around a big idea that my purpose is to be a purveyor of hope if I can. That's rather beautiful because recently I've heard people talk about how they are managing in these different times. And instead of saying social isolation or social distancing, they've actually said safe sheltering. Yeah. And when you talked about looking after those cheeky little rescue hens that you've yes. got there and moving to, you know, your life and energy is to shelter others. That's where I went. The safe sheltering is a beautiful way of yeah. talking about a situation that we've never lived in before and worked in before. I was walking up the hill the other day. There's a bit of a hill between my home and where I work. And I'm blessed to be able to walk through the grounds and up office here. And I was standing yarning to the grounds guys and they were beetling away in the early morning. It was a bit of mist around. It was quite idyllic, really. And we were talking about the gardens, the grass and the recovery after the terrible summer and uh. the nurturing of the fields and the grass and the gardens. And I was complimenting them. I said, it's just lovely to watch this all come back to life. You must be so pleased and you know congratulations it's amazing that brings great joy to us and his reply to me he said you know it's got very little to do with me it's got everything to do with the soil my job is to make the soil right that's my job too actually yeah. my job yeah. is to make the soil right because thriving not surviving but thriving through challenging circumstances is not to do with the external people around you that said, the external people around you can nourish the soil and or provide the shelter to enable the thriving to occur. But yet the being itself is the source mm. of thriving. Mm. And if you plant in the right soil, if you provide the right conditions, the climate, the sense of safety and protection, stand back in wonder and watch the growth occur. That's what gets me in the mornings every day. If I walk up the hill, it's a toilsome walk, I might say. It's a good steep hill, but it's what's this all about? Irrespective of the difficulties and you know the distractions and the discouragement and even the self-doubt, which is there in full measure still, that truth is enough to surpass all of those things and keep going. It's an honouring of the heart and soul of who you are for what you feel responsible for, isn't it? It really is. 
one of the downsides of that mentality where there's not really much uh, separation of work and self mm. is that you are what you do. And as a male of a certain age, I'm as guilty of that crime as anybody, um, <laughs> probably more than most. It is a magnificent obsession, as was once said, you know, and I do feel very consciously that burden of responsibility that somehow or other I could or should, or at least attempt to make things better somehow. I don't think you're alone, you know. Most people I talk to, whether it's my four-year-old grandson or one of my children, an adult child or good friend, I believe everybody wants to have a purpose and to be able to just make a difference. And what I really like about this notion of thriving is that there's no judgment on how we do it. It's, it's different for everybody because every one of us has a different yep. response to what happens to us. Uh, we have some choices in how we behave. We get to know the patterns of how we react or what our triggers are to certain things. I've been talking a bit about joy, what our joy triggers are, and they relate to our values, what yep. we assume and what our beliefs are. Your whole life has been given to education. When I look at your CV, Philip, from getting your Reformation History Honours to now being Principal of Barker College in Sydney and all that's gone on in between, the honours you've received, the contributions you've made to articles, the book you've written, the students and the families you have come in contact with over all this time, I always think it's a privilege and a challenge because there's you in this, there's your family, but there's also those that you feel responsible for and the commitment that you have. All of those experiences, very few of which were planned, yeah. came as a consequence of both circumstances in which I was placed, but also the fantastic things that other people were doing around me. And that leaves on my heart a certain expectation that I need to respond to that. Like I, I've been privileged over the last few years to have walked a fair bit with some Aboriginal people. And I am constantly, here we are in Reconciliation Week in this country, here we are a day following Sorry Day. Yep. I'm constantly amazed that people who have been so dispossessed and so cruelly treated really, including their children removed, whatever intention, but their children removed really, frankly, is a crime, the pain of which continues to be born today. And yet I've never met a people more willing to extend the warmth and love and welcome into an understanding of the world as they said. The resentment is there, but deeper than resentment is actually an astonishing welcome. The moment you say, teach me about your culture, the arms are open. I'm really chastened by that. I read one of the statements by one of the Yolngu women up in Northeast Arnhem Land, where she described the difference between Yolngu people and what they call up there, Balanda people, that's European, white European people, is yeah. that we tend to exclude, whereas the true Australian, as her phrase, includes and welcomes everybody without losing their sense of cultural purpose and identity. 
as who they are. And that's one of the marking points. And I've seen that repeated regularly and constantly around Aboriginal communities. 18 months ago, I took a group of educational leaders to live with the Yolna on Ninakai in East Arnhem Land. And uh, we got to meet Marcus Lacey and he, all the women, uh, Nancy and Dorothy all, and the daughters, they've set up an eco-tourism business for themselves, but it's a dry community of which we went into Gove and then we went out, out to Bush. Yeah. Anytime, I've done it again, anytime I have a memory of what it was like to be there, I usually get quite a uh, teary reaction, which I've just done, and I get goosebumps. And the first thing that happened to me was arms outstretched. This is our land. Yeah. It, it didn't even take a name. It was arms outstretched. Yeah. This is our land, our land, yours and my, uh, ours together. And you have experience now with two Aboriginal schools that you've set up. And we just signed an MOU with the Yothi Yindi Foundation. So our dream is for a third one up there in northeast Arnhem Land with the uh, Yothi Yindi people, with the Yongu people. And the big idea is to ensure that justice and reconciliation are built on, or peace rather, issues from justice and reconciliation rather than from a political statement. We need to walk together. Yeah. And walking together means respect and listening, really deep listening. And that's better happening on country, just as you've experienced, just as I've had that same honour, but all too rarely. And we have not yet understood the genius that lies at the heart of Australia. Absolutely fascinating. You are spot on there. Yeah. The culture is just so rich. And I must admit, I felt very ignorant. And I, at one point, berated myself and went, right, so stop the beration. You actually have to open your heart. You have to have to open up every facet of you, girl, so you can take it in and learn as much. And the leaders that I took, the educational leaders that came with me, who trusted, which was even another part of the whole experience, they trusted me to come with me and to do the work together up there. It has been profound on them. They are always talking about, Carrie, when are we going again? I said, we will be going. We will be going again when everything opens up. Because the other thing that comes up for me is the way the story can be expressed in their artwork. Now, when I walked into the Yakala Art Centre, I had a major experience. What I would probably call a spiritual experience, as I walked in the door, sometimes I, I find it very difficult to find the words around it, but uh, it was a major impact and I had to actually stay still for a while and just breeze through it because I went, oh my gosh, and here are the girls on the floor painting, the history, the treaties there, everything, but the magnificence of the artwork, which you have, and our listeners can't see this, but you have a magnificent painting just behind you there. It's the story. It carries this story as does this picture behind me. It's completed by a lad called Ethan, who is in year 12 at Barker. And interestingly, in 2007, when you and I were on the board of studies together, I started the little school in a city called Gawara, Gadigal word for a whale. And a little boy and his brother, Tavanahu and his mother 
came in to enroll and be part of this little school called Gawara. And Ethan was in that kindergarten in 2007. And this year in 2020, he's in year 12 as a boarder at Barker College. <laughs> That's a great story. With me. And this is his painting. And it shows on one side, listeners won't be able to see it, but on one side, it has the russet colours of the Australian desert. And on the other side, it has the beautiful limpid uh, sapphire colours of the Torres Strait Islands. And meeting together these two influences, which are the family influences in his life, brought together in a line that represents the east coast of Australia. And in the middle of it is a meeting circle, which is just out of camera here. It's the colours of this school, the red and the blue. And he's done it as a bit of a story of his own life and the influences in, that have come to him. Walking in two worlds, three really, Torres Strait Islander, yeah. saltwater people, desert people, and then coming to terms with his own identity, but here on the east coast of Australia and yeah. here at this school. We're turning this image into a vast mural oh. to go into a new building that we're just finishing off. Um, it'll be installed tomorrow um, during Reconciliation Week. And oh, it's fantastic. his story, but in that way that you and I and maybe other listeners and maybe others have experienced in other settings, stories that not are other people's stories, but stories that make you part of their story. And with that comes responsibilities. To care oh. for each other, to care for country, to care for respectfulness, to look after the earth and our part in it to ensure that cultures are handed on safely to the next generation, to be that shelter that we were talking about. That's right, the safe sheltering. The storytelling, which is always part of uh, Aboriginal culture and tradition and relaying of the stories, of course, can be told by all of us. We all have our own stories. And people might say, oh, you know, we've heard that all before, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. no one has ever told the Philip Heath story, like you can tell it. No one has told Nathan's story like Nathan can tell it. And I think yep. our storytelling in this time of how do we thrive or how do we find the purpose in our life and how do we make sense of things and how do we actually look for tomorrow? What's our responsibility to pass on for the generations that will come after us? Because let's face it, we're in the box a long time. We've only got one shot at this life, you know, so make the difference here. And I think that's important for us to tell our stories in our families, in our, with our colleagues, with our workmates, with our teammates, with other leaders such as you. So I'd have to say what I'm hearing from you is that your purpose is really fueled very deeply by respect for people's story, respect for the land respect for what we can contribute to the future. And that's, I think, why you're in education. And I may be taking a giant leap there. And the frustration that come with that is because stories aren't told in straight lines conformed yeah. to prescribed outcomes that maybe the educational theorists or maybe even government officials are seeking. Um, the other day I saw an article about 
the impact of remote learning on children's academic progress and lamenting basically that we are going to have children who are behind where they should be. And I respect the purpose of finding and assessing accurately, but I reject utterly the idea that they are behind or ahead. I don't know what that means because life isn't lived in a gradient that steadily rises chronologically across the year and I'm now 15 years and three months, so I'll be here. And then three years, 15 years and six months, I'll be there. And the Aboriginal people remind us, even in the symbolism of their art, that the world is much more timey-wimey and circuitous than that. And the freedom to thrive means the freedom sometimes to go slower than other times or to speed up or to do things at a rate that interest you more at other times. Why are we sign off on the things that we're all obliged to do. Not so impractical as to ignore that, but at the same time, many of us get to the end of our schooling years and then start to live. And I don't want that. I actually don't want the children mm. to feel that I've really only started to be who I am in my fullest sense when I'm free and leave the school gates. These are too precious times in your life because you look back on them and one of the privileges in my work is to meet lots of septuagenarians and octogenarians and, and <laughs> who can remember vividly every detail that happened to them at school but have no strong memory of what happened last week they can remember exactly where they were standing on the school grounds when an, an incident occurred they can take you back to where their desk was if that room still exists. They have a deep and abiding memory of it. I just don't think we have the right to waste that by constricting it or even to thinking that we're doing the business of the state by requiring it to conform to a train track academic mm. aggression, but instead allow the child's voice to sing or to find that in Ethan's case, he found his story. His story hasn't been easy. Um, no. He had quite a disconnected time through his schooling years. But look what he can do. Oh, I can see the picture as we're talking. And I was thinking his notion of thriving is being able to tell his story. He tells his story. And part of his thriving is that he's found ways to find himself in the stories that he tells, but also in the experience that he's living. It would be very difficult to belong to these different worlds. They're very, very different culturally. And I'm wondering now with our COVID lockdown that in a way we've all been forced into exploring a part of ourselves, if we've been open to it, that is actually in silence or in some isolation. So having the chance to explore that when the busyness has been just projecting us forward and forward, getting faster and faster. I find that's what the conversation's been about with a lot of people is oh, actually I've reclaimed uh, some time. I'm not actually feeling guilty that I'm sitting at the dinner table with my family. When before this, 
we didn't get together. We actually had to book it into the diary about a month ahead to get everyone there. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting time. This has been the most protracted crisis, if you will, that I've ever experienced in my career. It began in January and there's no end in sight. Uh, yeah. And every day is confused to some extent. And for somebody who enjoys planning and likes some progress, I have found in the in sort of the inward journey, if you will, the highest levels of frustration that I can remember. I've experienced frustration and disappointment and deep stress, trauma, really, but they have been in the past have been episodes that have started and finished. And then you enter the phases of grief and the cycling of recovery. I don't know where I am on this journey. I know where I am now and I'm comfortable with that space as far as I can be, but I don't know what's going to happen. Will there be a shutdown or a confirmed case that will throw a switch into a new modality again and then a, a new recovery phase. And the word unprecedented has been overused in the last three or four months, but it's probably not a better word to, to capture what's going on. So the usual sources of comfort, of confidence, mm. sources of truth and the sources of solidity around you uh, have all been upset. Absolutely. And when you multiply that by different populations, different cultures, huge numbers of people, there's a mass grieving for what we have lost. There is. If you look at grief, you look at how it actually shows up in our behaviour. I suspect we're moving into the angry cycle. And of course, you're quite right, the unknown. And there have been a few cute people saying, well, you know, the introverts are loving this, but the extroverts are having a really bad time with it. I declare to you that I, you know, the, the road is open, so I've come down to the south coast, which has my dear dad, he said, I want to have a place for you. You've got to come somewhere to relax. And I find getting my feet, it's actually a thing. The shoes get off and my feet go into the sand or they get into the water or I get out, and it doesn't matter if it's blowing a gale, if it's snowing, if it's pouring with rain, I'll get out there and do it. And we have a reserve in front of us at this beautiful place down the coast where we've watched the gum trees grow over decades. And now I look at them and I think, yeah, and what they're housing are over 20 species of birds. So with the bushfires down south, yeah. yeah, as well as nearly a third of Australia experienced them with bushfires, with the flooding, with the virus. It's been relentless. The change to our normal has been relentless. So how do we adapt and what do we take with us when we're trying to make sense of something that's very different? And yes, the frustration is massive. Being a leader with a population, you're looking at your staff are looking towards you, your students, your families. It's a huge impact. So, you know, that question about how do you thrive in your life and work? Well, I think we started with the essence and the essence is a deep spiritual place that you go and a deep responsibility you feel for your purpose. So I imagine your frustration has been absolutely mammoth. It's, very, it's been very high and 
partly because over the past, the formula has been define the problem, assemble a group, address the problem, distribute and or share and or engage with tasks, describe a narrative to go forward, and then evaluate that and uh, enjoy the journey. That's great in theory, but in practice, you need to do that then the next day as a new set of announcements yeah. is made. And there is no single source of truth in what is best to be done. As we're all searching out what is the best um, way to provide for people. I've been trying to say to the community as much as I can, um, let's not just survive this time, but let's create a language to enable us to thrive. Let's not just simply endure and get to the end of this time when it should be. Let's instead use this opportunity to examine some things in ourselves, in the world around us, to do things differently that may well still bring us great joy, to give a voice to others who may not have had it in the past, to reimagine what a day looks like and how it begins and ends. Um, Even traditional customs like gathering for assemblies and or morning ritual now involves temperature check for every child and and somebody with hand sanitizer and far from being an antiseptic thing we've turned that into a bit of a carnival atmosphere some people wear funny hats and if you will a new normal has turned into an attempt to recognize our realities with a sense of joy and thankfulness we're here we're together it's not the way it always was but it still is I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I don't probably need to know. I let aside the frustration. You know, I think you've just cracked something really important there. The need to know, because that goes towards, you know, how much we plan and we want to see a job started, a project started, see it to fruition. There'll be some structural things that, yes, will still continue, but we don't need to know a lot of stuff. And we waste really important energy and time on things that we have no control over. Exactly. And particularly if, you know, in all humility, you're called to be a leader, then you're the one that's meant to know, what do we do next? Do you still have a purpose? And the answer for me is, despite the frustrations, which are immense and probably continuing, (laughs) uh, that purpose to which you referred early is why you do anything each day. It's the same as it ever was. In fact, even more profoundly so, because the body of work that day is to keep everybody as safe and yeah. comfortable and confident so they can do the growing. It can't be done for them. Sheltering in a community of respect and care, and we will get through this. Nobody can make you grow, but you can provide conditions and safety and shelter and protection, sanctuary and love in which to allow that growth to occur. But ultimately, it belongs to every living thing. And even as I've been discovering from uh, Aboriginal people, inanimate things all are bound up in this great narrative. And we're all part of it. For this season, right now, what am I doing with what is before me? That's the call. Yeah, yeah. And is that sufficient? And that, that's enough to help me deal with the daily frustration. 
and I'm thinking you may very well have another daily frustration of another meeting to go to or whatever. But I think it's a beautiful way to finish our conversation, Philip. Thank you so much today. We usually have a call to action at the end of our podcast and you just brought it home because you talked about the soil, making sure the soil is right, forgetting about any fault in anything you do, but looking towards your responsibility. So our responsibility is to make sure the soil is right yes. yep. for this unprecedented time or this uncertain time of disruption where we've all been given a huge jolt and some more than others have more resources to help them with the jolt. But I love the fact that it's Aboriginal week this week and I love the fact that we've been talking all things about country and legacy and story. So thank you for sharing some of your story today with our listeners. Philip is the principal of Barker College on the North Shore of Sydney, Hornsby, is that, that's correct? Uh, pretty part of the country. If you'd like to know more about Philip, I'm sure you can pop on and have a look at Barker College website. I'm not sure if he wants too many people contacting him at the present moment, but he may. If you'd like to know more about what I do, pop on to carriebenedette.com. You'll see there's lots of different ways to access my information. But more importantly, if you have enjoyed our conversation today, as somebody else I know has recently said, well, just give us a bit of love. Pop on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, whatever it is. It is an absolute pleasure and a privilege for me to connect around the world. And as I have said, I'm so honoured, Philip, that one of Australia's most esteemed educators and educators of human connections has been available today. So I thank you very much for that. It's a great joy and thanks for your good work. <laughs> Bye everybody. Just remember your thriving matters. Thanks, Philip. See you again. Bye-bye.